Um, 1 through 11. I invite you now um, to listen to God's word. And I saw another mighty angel coming from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He held a little scroll upon his hand, setting his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. He gave a great shout, like a lion roaring. And when he shouted, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel, whom I saw standing on the sea and the land, raised his right hand to heaven and swore, by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, there will be no more delay. But in the days when seventh angel is, blows, is to blow his trumpet, the mystery of God will be fulfilled as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, Take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I told him to give me that little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat. It will be bitter to your stomach, but sweet as honey in your mouth. So I took this little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. When I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Then he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. John and May Hockaway were second generation Finns. Uh, before John's retirement, John had been a manager of a wildlife refuge in Cokesbury. Cokesbury is in western Alaska. Now, Cokesbury is a really remote place, even remote for Alaska. In fact, when John and May lived there in the 1950s, the supply ship came in from the outside world just once a year. You can't grow anything that far north. So all of your food for the whole year, except a little bit of local game, had to come in on that boat. Meat, canned goods, flowers, some vegetables, and eggs. Planes flew in, of course, but uh, that was way too expensive to get food that way, so they got all they needed from that year for that one shipment. They froze what they could, and tried to do the best they could with the rest. John and May Hockaway loved eggs for breakfast. So every year, they would order an entire year supply of eggs. You can't freeze eggs, but they do keep pretty well if you refrigerate them, and which is not a problem in Cokesbury, Alaska. Refrigerator eggs do not go rotten, but they do, well, change. They change. Very slowly, over time, eggs will change. 
Every morning, John and May would enjoy their eggs. If they tasted fine, they never noticed a change from one day to the next, one week to the next, one month to the next, and months went by after month after month. And after 12 months, there they were, eating one-year-old eggs, waiting for that boat to come in with that fresh eggs. And finally, the boat would arrive. Could you imagine fresh eggs after eating year-long old eggs? John and May would get up in the morning. They would fry these fresh eggs, and they would fry them up. And you know what? To them, those fresh eggs tasted awful. <laughs> May said they just want to spit them out. They would search the house high and low for year-long eggs. They gotten so accustomed to steal eggs just one day at a time, they grew to like them and mistake the taste. I wonder, I wonder if this is what has taken place in our text this morning. John is told to eat, eat the scroll. But then warned of the outcome, it would taste as sweet as honey at first. But over time, God's fresh new word to you will become sour. Why would God describe the good news in this way? Before we get ahead of ourselves, let us take a step back and see how we got here. The book of Revelation, like most books in the New Testament, is a letter. And like most of the letters in the New Testament, it was written to be read out loud. It was written to be read out loud in community at one setting. It is believed that the recipients of this letter, like most Christians at the time, were officially persecuted by the Roman government. And not only were they persecuted by force to engage in the official worship of Roman gods, they were forced to worship the emperor or face capital punishment, thus making every early Christian make the choice to either denounce their faith or become martyrs. Through Jesus Christ, most Christians felt that they were living in the end times, that this is what God was guiding history to an end period, a future that had already been revealed through Jesus Christ. The writer whose name we believe to be John, was writing to this community, was writing to you and to me, not with the speculative question, will there be an end to the world? Or not even, what would the end of the world look like? No, on the contrary. The question that this letter attempts to answer, the vision that John received, was to the question that all of Scripture tries to answer. And that is, is God faithful? Which brings us now to the chapter, 10th chapter, in the eating of the scroll. Chapter 10 is an interlude, if you would, between the 6th trumpet and the 7th trumpet sounding. Once the 7th trumpet sounding, the perfect number 7, the victory will be in. This letter gives us an interlude between the sixth and seventh trumpet. Not only to add suspense before this last trumpet plays, 
but divide a powerful vision of the role of the church. Before that last trumpet is blown, John tells us to be able to be witness to the vision, that the role of the church during these in-between times, the witness to that vision is then to take the scroll. Therefore, we are to take Scripture and eat it. When we hear, take, eat, we often think of Jesus in the Last Supper. We think of the communion table. Very rarely, if ever, do we associate these words with Scripture. What's the angel up to here? I think what the angel is trying to tell us, what God is trying to tell us, that Scripture is more than a book. To eat this book means that we take it all in. Literally, let it assimilate it into our tissues and into our lives. I wonder what it would look like for us, not as individuals, but for church community to embrace Scripture at like this point through the Holy Scripture, and through the Holy Spirit to assimilate into our tissues and into our lives. To do that would mean that we would have to read Scripture differently than most of us are accustomed to reading it. Uh, the late Eugene Peterson, in his book, Eat This Book, uh, makes a point that when most of us are taught to read, we are taught to read to find answers about the book. We read to pass exams. Then having passed exam, we put the book back on the shelf, pull another book out in order to pass that exam, forgetting a lot of what we read before. But what if, with God, there is no exam? Suggesting that the end of our lives is not some pass or fail mission. What if Scripture is telling us that God is way more interested in the interlude of how we spend our time today than God is about the end of life? What if God is more worried about our transformation? So God invites us to take, eat, and we're open to the Holy Spirit moving within us for Scripture to assimilate into us and into our lives, then we begin to truly see the question that God is really after us seeing. Is God faithful? In Alice Walker's novel, The Color of Purple, Celia and Suge have a long talk about God. Celia has been abused by her, by her life. She tried to be what she thought was to be a, a good Christian for a long time, but now she has given up and decided that God is not faithful, that God is dead. She describes her gifts from God as a, a lynch daddy, a crazy mama, a low dog, down step paw, and a sister I probably would never see again. Suge tries to help Celie believe in God again. Now, Celie finds this astonishing since Suge has never been much of a churchgoer and has always been what Celie think of as a bad sinner. Suge asks Celie to describe the God that she doesn't believe in. He big, old, tall, gray-bearded, and white. 
Suge replies, if you wait to find God in the white folks' church, that's the one that's bound to show up. When I found out God was white and a man, I lost interest too. I wonder how many people lose interest in God when we keep hearing from others that God does not care about them. Or worse, when we are the ones to believe that God does not care about them. When both sides are saying to one another they don't count, that they don't matter to God, that they don't even worship correctly, what Revelation is inviting us to do is to embrace God's word deep into our souls. God is inviting us to hear a new voice from within. And when Suge hears that voice, she heard God love everything you love and a mess stuff you don't. Praise God, she says. Praise God by liking what you like. People think, God, think pleasing God is all God to care about. But any fool living in the world can see God always trying to please us back. When she feel loved by God, us do the best us can to please God. It's that moment. That turning, that, that realization that any fool living in the world can see God always trying to please us back happened when God swept over the darkness and brought us light. It happened when God gave us the rainbow and when God freed the Israelites out of slavery. It happened again with every word that God gave to the prophets and again at the birth of Jesus Christ and again when Jesus met that Samaritan woman and again when he told Zacchaeus to come on down, I'm going to your house today and again when he raised that little girl from the dead and again when that woman touched his cloak. It happened again when Jesus fed the 5,000 and calmed the storms and ate dinner with the tax collectors and told them, let the children come. And it happened again on the cross. And when Jesus was raised from the dead and God said, death is not the victor, but my love is the victor, it happened again. And again at Pentecost, and again, and again, and again in the letters. That is God is doing God's best to be faithful to you and to me. No wonder this book tastes so sweet as honey. Not only do we find comfort in hearing God's unending faithfulness to us, but we find our individual story right there in Scripture. That's the identity that we've been seeking for their whole lives. It's there all along that we are a child of God. But as we keep reading, as we are open to the Scriptures assimilating into our tissues, we are open to the idea that this is not only my story, but it's your story. It's our story, a story that includes those that came before us and those that will come after us and those that are with us right now. It's a story that brings the past and the present and the future woven together into this book. And as we begin to hear that God so loved the world, not me, not the church, but God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, perhaps that's when our questions begin. 
It's only natural then for our sweet honey taste to turn a little bit sour. It is no secret that sooner or later when we read this book, not everything is to our liking in the good news. There are hard things in this book. The hard things to hear. The hard things to obey. Words and ideas and the imagery that are hard for us to digest. Words and imagery like forgiveness. Turn the other cheek. Those that are first will be last. And blessed are the poor for they would inherit the God. But woe to the rich for they are already comfortable. And that God cares about the orphan and the poor and the widowed and all those on the margin. It's hard for us to digest that God expects for us to follow God out to those margins. And every time that we draw a line to say who is in and who is not included, it's hard for us, I guess, for Jesus to show up once again and say, I want to push the line just a little bit further. It may cause a sour taste when we discover that God has not given us some pass-fail exam. That life is a lot more complicated than that. Or to quote Suge, God, I love everything you love and a mess of stuff you don't. So it's only natural to question everything we've learned. For that sweet taste to turn sour. So, so we, we search the house high and low for those year-old eggs, those stale eggs that we've come accustomed to without even realizing it. It's we all have we've gone to believe that this world has gotten us to believe that we are taking a pass-fail exam. And good luck with it. We can get used to believing in that pass-fail idea. And those stale eggs. So much so that we don't expect anything else out of God. So there's no wonder that the Holy Scriptures become more assimilated into our tissue. That we begin to ask questions. Is God even real? And should I just throw him all away? Is God faithful? Is that question that God so eagerly wants to answer that God will keep coming to you and to me over and over and over again? Saying, take, eat. I have nothing to hide. I'm not sure where you find yourself today. Perhaps the news of the gospel is new to you. And for you, it tastes as sweet as honey. Or maybe for some of you, it's always tastes as sweet as honey. Or perhaps for you, you find yourself this morning with a sour taste for scripture, for faith, even God. And in doing so, you find yourself deconstructing and questioning everything that you have believed to this point. Maybe 
maybe you've moved from that sweet taste to that sour, and now that you are putting things back together and that you are open and finding joy even in God's reconstructing of your faith. Well, maybe that reconstruction for you has been complete. And in your faith, you are as comfortable with the unknown, the mystery, and the questions that you are with God's guarantees. No matter where you find yourself this morning, we need you. We need everyone in this room. And everyone in this room needs you. This church needs you to read scripture, not alone, but with us. We need all of us to come to the table and eat this book together. But watch out. Watch out, because if we commit to eating this scroll together before that trumpet sounds, the answer to the questions will be revealed. And in that reveal, just like coming to worship, it will change you. It will change me. It will change our church. And together, as a church, we'll follow Jesus Christ as Jesus changes the world. In the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.